Welcome back to The Francisca Show, where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I'm Francisca, a singer, composer, and also your host. And just before we begin the show, I'd like to thank our sponsors. ShopDrop is an iPhone app that lists every sample sale in New York. So if you want to buy designer clothes without breaking the bank, go to your iPhone and download the ShopDrop app today. Today we have with us Adina Miles, also known as Flappish Girl, an orthodox female online influencer and founder of Flappish Media. Welcome to the show, Adina. It's so such an honor to be interviewing you. I'm a big Thank fan. You. So just to give you a little information on the show, we interview women in the arts and entertainment, and you definitely fit the criteria by being in the entertainment industry. And a lot of what you do is also acting. Am I, am I right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, a Papa Scroll in and of itself is sort of a character. So yeah. But well, congratulations on building such an influencing brand name and really pushing boundaries and creating a channel to really send your messages that are very powerful. It's my pleasure, really. I, I love doing it. I love I love it. Give us a little rundown on how you got started. I recently did um, a different podcast, so I'm going to try to take it from like a little bit of a different perspective. That's not to say that, you know, you know, I'm just going to give it like a different kind of spin, you know, rather than focusing on too many logistics. But I think that I always, you know, in school, I think we all have this sense of like being like the odd man out. I think it's sort of like a myth that like, some people are different or some people um, feel, you know, like a misfit. I think it's really like just the human narrative that we all feel this way. And, you know, it started like, you know, even the fact like I was reading like a book, Adamorphs, and I felt like I had to hide it like from my friends, from my teachers. And it was like just a great scholastic book series um, but I just felt like, you know, it was guyish and it was something I had to hide. And I always felt that sort of like duplicity in the way I was like in school, like, you know, at home, like we watched movies and in school, like you can't really talk about it. Um, or, you know, reading, like I said, like certain book series and like not being able to talk about it, not being able to bring the book like on the bus on the way to school. And that like schism really like made me think more and more every day about what does Yiddishkeit mean? And like what parts of Yiddishkeit really do need to be protected from modern influence and what parts of Yiddishkeit can evolve even more beautifully alongside it. Um, and like those questions always, you know, played in my mind. And even when I went to Brooklyn College, I got a bachelor's um, in English and psychology and then a master's in literature uh, with a focus in medieval literature. It was just a lot of delving into um, like ancient texts and and exegesis, you know, like commentators on on the First Testament, commentators on the Second Testament, and just kind of seeing this theme where, like, you know, that that interpretation is interpretation. A secondary source is a secondary source. And just thinking about these thoughts and how, how so much of modern-day Judaism, not even modern-day, Judaism looks around the world today, how much of it is, community shaped, how much of it is shaped by 
these secondary sources, which are, are completely, they should be, you know, it should have a shape, it should have an effect, but really trying to just disentangle like what is myth and what is real and how these myths sometimes make people feel trapped within their own Yiddishkeit. And just thinking, how do I really like create conversation around this in a way that's safe for people who might be feeling like me and not to be afraid of being finger pointed at as like some sort of heretic or someone who doesn't value our tradition or our heritage or someone who's seeking to like destroy it because it's so not true. Like there's nothing I would lay down my life for my religion. I would. And just not being afraid of it, not being afraid of being misunderstood. And that's really, I guess, how you could say it like started. Wow, that's deep. You're really brave. So thank you for standing up for all the women out there. As being someone in the arts industry and my form of connecting with myself, with my spirituality and Judaism is through my voice and having Koisha as a barrier, myself and so many other artists out there deal with this issue of where is my place within Judaism to do what I'm doing. We're definitely all pushing boundaries. We'll, we'll come back I have to this to say, I, I don't know if I would have the strength. Like if I had, if singing was something that I was passionate about, it would be so difficult for me. Like I can only, I can only, I can't even fathom what you go through and what your group of friends go through because it seems it's it just seems so misconstrued you know and the way modesty gets twisted and poison you know it's just regular misogyny that people mask as as protecting the torah and it's it just seems completely it, it's so just so twisted and I'm so sorry you've had to go through that. I, I you know, I think in, even in the Torah, like Sarah Bas Asher was singing, like we, we hear about, you know, B'nai Yisrael was singing as they, you know, went through Kriya Siam stuff. Like singing is never really something that women seem to have been excluded from in the primary text. And I don't even think in the secondary texts. I mean, I don't know for sure. I haven't really researched. I'm sure you have, and I'm sure you know much more than me. I just can't fathom it. I can't fathom that. I, I I would assume, just based on how the pattern of how other things work, you know, the other layers of misogyny that go on, I would assume that it's more of a modern day phenomenon. And this is just something that's done that really holds women back and forces them to really just seek other channels that might be a lot worse. That's true. And I do want to delve deeper into this because I had to make lots of decisions and choose where I want to go. For example, take music videos and how much of myself do I want to expose? How much artsiness can I include dancers? What costumes can they wear? What kind of moves can they do? And definitely had some backlash and alienated certain communities and people from considering me kosher, for example. So I know you definitely have to deal with putting yourself on the line, especially with the work you do and comedy, you really have to compromise yourself for the greater good for your cause. Could you tell us a little bit more about what your thought process is and how you make these decisions? Hmm. That's a really good question. That's actually a really great question. I don't know if I, I don't know if you meant it this way or if I'm misunderstanding it. But like the other day, I had a dream that I was sort of championing this 
like we were in like a more modern day, like in the, in the future where like head coverings had been banned in America. And I was like at the forefront of women who were fighting for our right to wear wigs. And I had this dream and I woke up and I was like so taken aback by it because to be completely honest, I really don't have an emotional connection to head covering. I don't. I just, I do it to, I really do it to signal to my audience. And I do it even when the camera's not on me. Like I do it because I'm sacrificing what I personally believe in. Like I personally don't believe it's, it's a, it's the right interpretation of what covering means. And I do it anyways to maybe help other people who might be struggling with it feel more firmer in their beliefs, because I think that it would just be, it would just be unfortunate for me to signal a message like that. Like, oh, and like, you know, because it, it kind of waters down what I'm fighting for, right? It would water down the message of fighting for, um, you know, better treatment of women within, within Judaism. If I was also shirking something that I don't really think is a misogynistic practice. I think that it, I think the women actually sort of like, like poisoned the water hole with it. You know, like, like, I don't think the men ever were like, you must put another piece of hair on your hair. Like they never said, it just seems more like it's coming from the women. So like that's an example of something I sacrificed for on my personal beliefs to make sure that my message is not getting watered down because it's not something I like hate doing. It's just not something I feel passionate about doing. And I'm, am I making sense? Yes. I actually want to take this deeper. Do you have any places where it's on the other side? For example, let's say you didn't want to cover your hair, but you build this brand and you're talking to this community, taking off your shaitel. And I'm just giving that example because you started with it. Right, right. That would also compromise what you're doing. So sort of having to stick with certain norms. So how how does that affect your Judaism and your practice? Right. So I guess you know what it is? I guess being under the, the microscope, um, even when the cameras are off, I kind of feel like this certain like achrayas and accountability to being um, to not being two faced. So like, if I, like I, if you look through 99% of my posts, I think it's a very rare event where you will see my knees, elbows, or collarbone showing, right? Maybe, maybe 98%. And it really is how I live my life off camera. I really try, like, I really take pride in, in dressing that way even though it does have that like schmeck of like misogyny in it. You know what I mean? Like, even though like, so I guess that would be an example, like modest dressing has a lot of qualities that, that nauseate me because they, it sexualizes the body more than it does protect it. In my opinion, I think it, I think it's, I think it's actually a very counterintuitive thing. Like I, I think the way to, to bring sacredness to one's to the female body is by not forcing it to be covered. Or I think it's up to each woman individually on how she wants to define her own modesty. And it does not have to be a checklist that says, cover this, cover that, cover this, cover that, you know, because like, as we've seen, even on social media, you can be covered from here till tomorrow and you could look extremely sexual. 
So like, that's an example of something like I don't particularly, I do it strictly. Like I dress theistically strictly wherever, like wherever I go. Um, but at the same time, it does make me uncomfortable. Like, why am I doing something that's feeding into the very thing that, that, that trickles into the censorship of female faces and print media? Because I really think it's a branch that's part of the same trunk. But, but at the end of the day, I stay true to it for numerous reasons. But, it, but in order to follow through with this thesis, you know, for one of the main reasons is because I want my message to resonate and how can my message resonate if it's coming from a stranger? You're sounding like a leader, and I know your life took you slightly more into a political career than just media. Some people even compare you to AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. You did <laughs> run for Democratic District Leader in the 45th Assembly District, right? Yes. How did it turn out? It was definitely an amazing experience where I really got, you know, a lot of what I do in general is I learn by, I do hands-on learning. Like, that's just the way I learn. Uh, I think most people learn that way. And, you know, I didn't really investigate or learn or have any idea what I was going into. And I decided to run um, someone I was running with. And when I say with, I mean, like, this, you know, someone who was running in the 42nd district gave me a call and he's like, Oh, you should run in the 45th district. And I was like, you know what? Okay. Like, will you show me the ropes a little bit? And he's like, yeah, you could do it. And I'm like, okay, I'm doing it. Like I didn't do anything more than like a two minute phone call before I decided to run. Um, and I mean, I think that's a testament to like the part of me that is very spontaneous in the moment, like unafraid, but also the part of me that, um, you know, just like, you know, isn't so, I don't like reverse engineer every, everything I do. You know, I don't like always have these like grand master plans and learning about learning the ropes. It was incredible. Like, you know, just seeing what really it's, what it really takes to hold a position. Um, I think the cards were really stacked against me um, being in a community that um, does not use me you. as as someone who is threatening to the Torah, I mean, it's sad because for me, I think I'm doing the opposite. I think I'm trying to protect it. You know, I think when they think of them, not they, many people see my work as threatening to the Torah because they're living in the here and now. And right now there aren't so many problems. Like there aren't tons. I mean, maybe there are, there are, there are a lot of problems, but you know, it's, we're managing, we're doing a good job. And a lot of what I do is not really for the now. A lot of what I do is for 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years from now, we're, you know, for that, for that future. And so they don't really like value what I do. Um, so it was, it was quite challenging being in, in this particular community. Um, and, but it was it was a really interesting, wonderful experience. It was very eye-opening. It was very humbling. It brought me to like the brink of my humanity, you know, being so vulnerable, putting myself out there, not winning, like, you know, needing to keep my head high, um, you know, when the polls came in and, and not feeling as though all the work, like the hundreds of hours of backbreaking labor wasn't for nothing and really trying to find the silver lining and remain optimistic um, and looking towards the future about other possibilities that might come my way in the future where it might be a better timing or, or the temperament of the community might be more conducive to electing someone like me. Um, 
and also having to have that humility of it's not necessarily about getting the crown. Like this is about change and advocacy and uniting a community and the people have spoken and this is what they decided and respecting that process and also filtering out any like chasing of Kavo that I might've had. Yeah. You know? It really taps into your ego. I watched the video that you sent right after you got the results of the polls. And I was really impressed with how you handled yourself and you put a smile on your face and you, you said, we're not done fighting. We're not done trying. And I'm sure after you posted that video and you closed the door, you closed your phone, there were these dark feelings. And you keep saying how you're doing this for the future. And in my humble opinion, I feel like after we got the Torah, the Jews have been pretty much reactive as opposed to being proactive. And by you doing something that has a vision of the effect it's going to have in 30, 40 years, is being proactive because the way we are, as you said, managing in the community, the the amount and the numbers of assimilation and choosing other paths are groundbreaking high and we're not managing. So your bigger vision is definitely something that's lacking in the community and they're definitely threatened because you're, you're doing something real. You know, I, I think that I, I, as I've gotten older, I really try to use counterintuitive thinking for, for, for things, you know, um, I had an experience recently where I was contemplating visiting a family member who doesn't really keep Shabbos for the weekend, you know, with my family and, you know, and thinking like, is this something, you know, not like that maybe my kids will get confused from going into a home where I mean, you know, like where lights are being turned on and off and, you know, obviously, you know, bringing our own food and things like that. And, or is, is this too confusing? Is it too risky? Am I model, am I showing them, you know, that it's possible to live that way and therefore maybe they shouldn't do it when they get older. And I think most parents, most people don't use counterintuitive thinking. They think to themselves, yeah, it's a big problem. Don't do it. Like you have to wait till they're older. And I thought to myself, just the opposite. How beautiful is it to show a child how lucky and fortunate and privileged we are to have the things that we value and our tradition and the way that we celebrate Yiddishkeit and Shabbos and, and, and to respect other people who practice it differently and not to do it in a way where like, oh, but we don't do that, but rather like be respectful towards other people. That doesn't mean you have to do it as well, but you can be respectful. And, and I think that it was, it was a bigger life lesson that my husband and I were able to give like my son Ruvain over that weekend um, than any Shabbos lesson he's ever going to learn in school. And it sounds counterintuitive. So, so back to what you're saying about the community, the community very often the concept of community is that when things are unfamiliar, we try to block it out because it's threatening to the community. But I think Homer, the more you force yourself to face things that make you feel uncomfortable, the more you need to exercise um, like deconstruction and understanding and audit meaning in your life. And there, and then you get to almost like, recommit and re-celebrate the things that make you, the things that you value. So 
when that counterintuitive way of thinking becomes more mainstream, then yeah, maybe I'll get elected. <laughs> well, it's really profound and wise, and it, it's the idea of teaching your child how to go down and up the stairs instead of putting a gate and never allowing them to go to the stairs. Exactly. And the same principle really applies to internet access. You know, restricting it is actually making it much more intriguing and and unallowed. And it creates that sort of addiction mentality to when the children eventually do get access to internet, what they can do. Because they weren't taught within a framework how long you should use it at a time. What are safe places to go and what are not? what's healthy and what's not. And especially as Jewish parents who focus so much on education, we're missing so much of the fundamental lessons about actually teaching your children to cope within the modern world. Exactly. And exactly. so you founded or you began the From Women Have Faces campaign. And just tell us a little bit about what triggered that. And do you feel like any change happened? I really want to talk about what do you think has to happen for things to actually change. So another like counterintuitive way of thinking that I have is that I don't think any policy or official mandate or, you know, Rabbanim coming up with like new stars is going to be the thing that makes more female representation in printed media. I think that the more it's subtly called out and demonized by women, by women that, um, other women will maybe start to recognize that it's not a harmless thing that's that's just protecting our sneas. It's not something harmless. It's actually quite poisonous. And the more I talk about it, and the more you know, my Bialik has been a major helper with disseminating like the messages about this. Chachmat Noshim, you know, Shoshana Keats Jaskal has spoken about it. Um, and Kofsky has spoken about it. And now even like, you know, there was a recent experience where there was a sign in front of a property that was shared between a, a basin and a women's clothing store in Crown Heights. And it's funny because I always hear from the Chabad community, oh, we don't have these misogynistic problems in our community. And I was like, okay, great. Maybe you're a little more progressive, but I guarantee you their problems are there. And that's wonderful that you don't have them, but it could creep in because sometimes communities adopt meaningless, stricter policies suddenly. Um, or, and sometimes it seeps in, like when you're neighboring you know, fellow Yidin are, are doing it, sometimes it can seep in. So, you know, I always just like chuckle about it. Um, you know, and then like, and, and the basin had asked her to remove this ad in front of her store because there was a female on it. Now she was dressed completely modestly. You can barely see any of her leg. You can't even see her neck. Like she's just a very beautiful, you know, female. And the question is like, if that female was not as attractive, would they have asked her to take down the sign? No, I doubt it. And if it was an ad for Armani, you know, Armani with a man in a suit, would they have asked them, her to take down the ad? No, they wouldn't have. So because of things like From Women Have Faces, the campaign, she got on her story and she was like, do you think this is just? Do you think this is fair? Do you think this is something I should respect the rabbis for telling me to remove? And I don't know if she would have taken to her camera if I hadn't been 
pushing this on social media, if Mimu Maxi hadn't brought awareness to the campaign, like the more it spreads, the more when it when you're on the receiving end of the injustice, the more you might be inspired to speak up and stand up for what you think is right. And the more it just the snowball just keeps rolling where it becomes this thing that women are like, wait, we can't let this happen. Wait, we need to speak up. Wait, this is not actually Torah. This is not, this is a perversion of And so what I think is most important with the From Women at Faces campaign is just the, just planting of the seeds, just for us as a community of women to feel that comfortable comfortability of expressing, you know, that we might feel that it's an unjust practice and supporting our sisters and, and supporting someone who speaks up for it because it's hard to speak up, especially when you have a business. Like she spoke up about it. Like, I don't know, maybe people have a harder time walking into her store for the next few weeks. Her business might've taken a hit because she stood up for something she believed in. Then she was maybe going against rabbis. So, I think that, and I definitely see already like changes, even in the Flatbush Jewish Journal, like the the newspaper in Flatbush that doesn't even let pictures of little girls at their sitter parties or pictures of, you know, rabbits and Pam, you know, I see already like they sometimes they sneak in the photos and I feel like the editor is testing the waters based on him seeing the shift in the tides. So it's really just about that. It's just about the tide shifting. It's not about like formal policies and and strict new mandates. It's just about the like conscious and unconscious and subconscious understanding of, of what it really is and what, what it really symbolizes. And by that happening, the tides changing and editors adapting to what people will tolerate even on a personal level, like even if they won't get like a, a hate emails or they won't have, you know, a riot in front of their building, they'll know that the female psyche is not going to tolerate this. And if the female psyche is responsible for, you know, um, you know, the advertisers being profitable, they're going to start changing. They will change. And I think it's going to come a lot sooner than we think it than, than people think it will. But even if it does take 40 years, 50 years, so be it, so be it. Wow. And as an influencer, especially with your channel on Instagram, you open yourself up to tons of mail and messaging and communication with individuals in the Jewish community who do feel like they're that outcast and the, the odd one out. Can you share maybe one or two stories of people you think you really were able to get through or help and really save some Jewish souls with what you're doing? So I, I had um, a mother who reached out to me and told me that her daughter um, is having a bas mitzvah and she really, really looks up to me because she's had to move school. She had to switch her school because she was experiencing bullying in her in the classroom. And the way she was coping with a lot of the bullying was by watching the way that I upload screenshots to my story of the bullies and not backing down, not changing my statements, not deleting posts because it was getting hate and that it helped her navigate the stressful experience of experiencing bullying. And, um, you know, they actually flew me down for her bas mitzvah and I was able to celebrate with her and, 
you know, to feel like there was even one neshama that can have benefit from from showing the sinasrina. That's counterintuitive. You know, like people say to me all the time, you're spreading sinasrina. And I'm like, that says more about you than it says about the reality. Because I can argue that showing the sinasrina actually makes us all take a step back from moments in which we see ourselves judging someone else or see ourselves hating on another Jew for the way they practice or for who they are, or even if it's not related to Yiddishkeit, maybe it's just being judgmental to someone else. And I think when we flaunt the sinas chinam, that's actually the best hands-on learning experience to curb it. That was one experience that really was very moving to me to to see that come full circle. Um, Another experience I had was, you know, women who women who even just felt like they were people in their family who were holding them back from going for certain degrees or, you know, let's say going to law school and not just going for speech therapy or OT or PT um, and them saying, wait, like, it doesn't matter what my parents are saying. I mean, I have to do I'm very fortunate that my parents really do support me every step of the way. But, you know, I guess them just seeing the backlash and the way I don't cave um, empowered them to pursue things that, that peer pressure from family and friends were maybe holding them back from doing. Wow. So you're really creating a movement with your power and your strong self of <laughs> whatever that strength is in you, this Jewish woman power thing. And I couldn't do it without my support system, like between my husband and my parents and, and my, and my two children, like they just so, they so they're, they're my cheerleaders. And if I didn't have that, if I was having doubt creeping in, in my home base, I wouldn't be able to do it. Yes. And we love to talk about this on the show about how the support system so very much has to do with what we're able to produce and accomplish. And another thing we love to talk about on the show is the logistical, just, we want to know, are you able to support your family with Flatbush Media with what you're doing? I know we have the gap between the gender earning gap and Oh, especially all the backlash, but you have built a brand for yourself. And is this something that is able to pay for your bills? So I have a very strong background in sales. I worked in sales for a while. So for me, it's about getting the leads and then closing. So because I have such a widespread audience, you know, I have like 20,000 people who watch my story every day. That in of itself kind of like sends out a big net like a fishing net so that even if I get, you know, a 1% conversion rate, cause like some people are free to align with, you know, with, with me at the helm of, of a media company, you know? And even if I get that 1% rate of people reaching out, which it's really more, it's more like, you know, more like 10%. Um, I really have like a high rate of closing. So for me, it happens to be, it works out. And Um, I'm able to, you know, I also have a team that allows me to offer a lot of benefit for those who work with me. You know, I don't just offer, you know, me doing a shout out for your product. I take a, I try to take a very action-based approach. Like I have other resources. My husband does app development, web development. Um, we do, you know, we have video production in house. So, 
able being able to offer all those resources just increases the chances that you know someone might want to work with me I, there are definitely waves when you have your own business sometimes it's some it it shifts you know some months are better than others some quarters are better than others it's possible that's just the natural way that all businesses work i have seen a correlation between the content i post and dips in in my profit margins you know like when i posted a picture with abby stein um you know she's transgendered i lost three clients that month who were steady consistent clients who were paying like four thousand a month for social media management it was a massive massive hit um and i did not i didn't regret it i really did not regret it i did not regret it whatsoever that's not on me. I'm not going to modify what I do because it's good for business. That's exactly what I'm asking other people to not do. I always tell people like, don't do what you think is good for business because then you'll never stand up for anything. You'll never have anything you stand up for because any position you take that's not pariv is something that could possibly push away business. But where there's risk is also reward. And, um, you know, how can I, how can I regret certain actions I've taken and certain things I've stood up for, even though it had a negative effect on business, if, you know, how can I say that? It would be so hypocritical of me because that's what I'm asking other people to not cave to. I'm very proud of the clientele who have stood by me since the beginning. Like there are some clients I've had who have been with me through every controversial post, through the whole like Leia Forrester event, we know with advocating for the LGBTQ community, for everything. And these are like Heimish brands with like real Hasidim at the fore, at the head of it. And they understand, they get it and they're not afraid. And, and I'm not saying they support all my mission statements, but they value me as a member of our tribe. And, and I, yeah, and I'm, I'm so grateful for those clients. Well, thank you for giving them a shout out because as much as we are bashing the community, it's nice to hear that you do have a support system, even from, as you said, the the Hasidim who probably do not stand by a lot of your messages. I love the Hasidish community. I have such a soft spot. Like my mother has Hasidish roots and I have, I, I my grandparents lived in Bar Park my whole life. I davened in their shtibel with the Hasidish and Nigan and you know, shopping on 13th Avenue every Arab Shabbos, it's, uh, you know, it's such a nostalgic, warm, heartsick place for me and such an amazing community to me. And I think that, you know, as, as long as, you know, some things need to be called out for what they are, not allowing women to drive is not a protection of the Torah. Like it's not. So, you know, like that might be like my next campaign, like <laughs> from women can drive. <laughs> That's a great idea. You are brilliant in your marketing, in your sales, in, in the way you carry yourself and the ideas you have and how forward thinking you are. I, I would say my professional and personal life is very connected. And for you, I would imagine that would be on a much higher scale. Tell us what your outlets are. What do you do to wind down when you're not doing this flappish girl, flappish media? I'm actually a very slow paced in those moments, like when my apps are off. I don't know if you saw, I did a post about, you know, restricting um, apps on your phone for certain hours. I have a lot of downtime hours. My phone is mostly disabled from like 10.45 p.m. to 8 a.m. 
and uh, like 5.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. where my, my apps just don't work. I just don't really have access to social media. And in those moments, obviously there are occasionally, you know, um, exceptions. But when I don't have access to social media and I'm not on my phone and I'm not working, I'm a very slow-paced person. I like to watch slower shows. I'll go by myself for a walk. I'll go thrift shopping. I'll go to a Barnes and Noble. I'll see a movie by myself. Um, you know, I have my nutritionist. I have my therapist that I go to on Fridays in Park Slope. And I'll sit in a cafe and drink a coffee and I'll journal. And I'm a, just a very more like introspective um like loner kind of person. And I, I love that space because if I didn't have that time to regroup and, and have that me time and nurture myself, I wouldn't be able to nurture others, you know, give to the club. That's really beautiful. Thank you for painting a picture of what your life looks like when you are offline. And do people stop you on the street or ask you for selfies? Or- all the time, all the time, all the time. And that's why like a lot of times, Um, when I'm on me time, like strictly me time, like I'll try to go into neighborhoods, you know, that I'm not so recognized. Um, and sometimes it's my pleasure though. Like sometimes I want to go to a great restaurant and this is, it's unavoidable. And, and I, and I go into it with this frame of mind of not, not letting myself get annoyed because that wouldn't make sense. Like here I am trying to do work for the community And, you know, trying to signal that my messages can help shape the community. But then when the community members come up to me and praise me for my work, I should get annoyed that they're infringing upon my space. So I really have like maybe in the beginning I was a little bit more like that. And I think it was more like just a testament to like my shyness. And now that, you know, and now that I've come to really appreciate it, I love it. Like when people, I try to be like Rivka, you know, when Rivka was like, like I'll also give to your camels and people ask me for like a selfie. I'll be like, no, no, no. Give me your phone. Who, what, what, tell me about your WhatsApp group. Like what's your favorite WhatsApp group? What's your family chat? Like what's the family name? They're like the Stern family and I'll take their phone and I'll make a video and I'll be like, hi Stern family. And I'll do a little bit for them and I always try to one up whatever the request is that people are asking me for and um and it's and it's a real it's a privilege like I'm I'm so lucky I'm so fortunate what could what more could I ask for that's a great technique and everyone should learn from you in general whenever people ask you for favors yes always (laughs) trying to one up someone um and we'll close with this is there a line that you would not cross you are someone who has clear boundaries or missed boundaries if some people can think you don't look like someone who has boundaries you'll (laughs) so and clearly you do have boundaries so take us through your guidelines or your your deal breakers what is the cross line oh it's such a hard question because i really pride myself on being a nuanced great person and I, I try to stay away from like absolute statements and hard lines. And I think the only way Yiddishkeit can survive is by being fluid. So I'm, I'm going to have to do like my cop out answer and just say, I don't think there's any hard lines because it's all about remaining fluid in your orientation towards any subject matter. Because if we're not you know, I know we're Ankshay Ora, you know, like we, we have like a stubborn reputation 
I think we do. I think we do it very well already. For myself, remaining flexible in my opinions towards certain subject matters um, and not being so like not being like, oh, my gosh, I can't have any conversations with a Palestinian, you know, like, no, like I don't have any hard lines. I, I do what's what what's needed in the moments that to me uh, make sense for me to, you know, take certain actions. So I don't have any boundaries or hard lines. And I think that is the right answer. <laughs> Thinking, you know what, I think I would have answered the same way. So thank you so much for being really, truly a leader in our Jewish community today. Not just for the women, but for the men and for the future community as well. And if you have been enjoying this podcast, please make sure to write a review and subscribe and tell your friends to check us out as well. See you next time.